0: Terms and conditions apply. Let's go! This is the Lombardi Line with Michael Lombardi and Patrick Maher on VSEN. Hey
1: everyone, welcome in another edition of the Lombardi Line. Just a few things to talk about today in the National Football League, as we are, as always, presented by BetMGM. With Michael Lombardi, I'm Ben Wilson. In for Patrick Maher. Patrick back tomorrow. Michael, since the NFL and NFLPA moved the trade line trade deadline back to Week Eight about a decade ago, this was the most moves we saw in a single deadline uh, since that decision was made from the Week Six to Week Eight flip about the, about the ten years ago or so. Of all the moves we saw yesterday, which
2: one to you moved the needle the most? I don't know if any of them did actually. You know, I, I think Naim Hines will certainly help Buffalo. He kind of fits better than Zach Moss did there. Uh, Gives them another nickel runner to go along with their six-back offense. Uh, Look, everybody loves the Chubb deal for Miami. Miami was 26th in sacks per play going in. Miami's defense has not been very good all season long. They've struggled in the back end and the front end. And so will Chubb come in and do those things for them? I I see Chubb. Chubb's like not a – he's a rusher, not a pressurer. Chubb gets there, not instantly. Chubb works his moves, and he's a good player. Don't get me wrong. But to me, to pay Chubb as an elite rusher, especially only having two you know, two years he didn't play, his rookie year was his best year by far. And so I think it's a move that tells you Miami's all in, and if they're willing to go ahead and give them that kind of money, Denver was never going to do it. But, Ben, to sum up the trading period, it really came down to simply this. Teams were willing to pay more, for a player that was going to become a free agent, and the teams Mm. accepted it. So, Chubb, Denver knows they're going to get a three. They got a one back. Okay, better make that deal. Because if they don't trade them now, if you know you're not going to sign them and you don't trade them now and you're getting a significant deal for them, two picks better than what you're going to get, a low three versus a low one or a mid one, you better do it. Same thing that happened, you know, same thing that happened all throughout the league, with whether it's Hawkinson and all those. Teams overpaid on the compensatory scale, and that's why these trades happened.
1: It's a very, yeah, simplified version of, like, we get into, like, the nitty-gritty of, okay, why, like, why the deal now and how, what's the true valuation of these guys coming back? You at least, I, I think, have to respect from Miami's point of view, a team that has been in the bottom five defensively most of the year, and for Chubb, even if... The numbers haven't completely uh, followed the narrative of him being this elite defensive edge rusher. Still, ESPN does have him ranked third in pass rush win rate among edge rushers this season. And for the Dolphins, what is the ceiling now for a defense that has had a ton of holes through the first eight weeks of the season?
2: You know, I think uh, I think to me, you know, they, they've, you know, one of the thing about Miami is, is they haven't played elite quarterbacks. But even when they, I mean, even against Kenny Pickett, they made some plays. They just haven't been able to get the pressure that we saw them get a couple years when they were getting those turnovers. They play a lot of man-to-man. You know, they lost one of their starting corners in Needham. He was their nickel corner. You know, Byron Jones hasn't been on the field. Xavier Howard has been hurt most of the year. So, you know, they're trying to kind of find a way. Phillips is a, looks like a good player, but I, I just think, to me, this isn't going to move the needle as much as everybody mm-hmm. thinks it is. I think Miami's still a good team. But Miami's not great in any category. When I go through my numbers and look at the team, you know, and and kind of compare them, right? They're playing Chicago this week. Miami's in the top seven in one area. They're in the middle area in three, and they're in the bottom. They're in the bottom quadrant in six. Okay, so they're not like an elite in any area. Whereas they're playing Chicago, they're good in one area. They're kind of middle of the road in one other area, and they're eighth in a lot of other areas, in the bottom areas. So it's kind of a closer game than you might suspect when you hear Miami and you hear Chicago. I think the, the defense of Miami has got a long way to go, and I don't think Chubb's going to be the answer. I think actually Randy Gregory was the better answer. I mean, look, just they're, they're 25th in, they're 25th in points per play, you know, they're 25th in sacks per play. They're 25th in incompletions kind of gained against them, and they don't change up. To me, Miami's a team like a baseball pitcher that throws nothing but fastballs, right? Mm-hmm. They throw nothing but fa- And once a pitcher throws nothing but the hitters catch up to them. It's the same thing in Miami. They, they run nothing but mad coverage, and then people catch up to them.
1: Or like uh, Lance McCullers throwing nothing but breaking balls last night in Philadelphia. That, yeah. I guess, would be the other cop. Philadelphia just teeing off on Lance McCullers last night in the World Series. You mentioned the futures, how this rally doesn't move the needle for you. We did see the market tick a little bit down. It, it's comical to me, Michael, that you saw Miami go from 12-1 to 1 to 10-1 to 1 to win the AFC East. They're not winning the AFC East, okay? Uh, they go from 18-1 to yeah, 1 to 16-1 I mean, to, to win the AFC, 35-1 I mean, to down to 30 beat, to win the Super Bowl. I know
2: Bowl. they beat Buffalo, but they're not going to beat Buffalo again. It, I, I think to me now, in the East Coast, this is a fascinating I, – I circled this game on the calendar, you know, and, and I guess Mother Nature's in favor of Miami, but they have to go to Chicago, and everybody's going to be on Miami this week, right? Chicago got blown out last week. They're not very good in a lot of areas. Their quarterback has to run – a certain style of offense. So, you know, and I know they got Chase Claypool, but mm-hmm. is that really going to make a difference right now for them? But to me, I was thinking weather was going to be a factor in Chicago. And when you go through the weather this week, it's supposed to be 60 all through the East Coast. I mean, we're having incredibly warm, uh, uh you know, Indian summers here now. And so I thought that game would be kind of a – hard game for Tua to throw the ball in because weather is going to impact him I don't care what anybody tells me it's going to impact him and and I don't think he's going to get a bad weather game in Chicago
1: such a great point because we saw the original forecast in the betting market look toward the under here that the first forecast we got was high winds rain in Chicago this total was as low as 44 two teams who are very much paced to the over Yet, as you just point out, over the last 24 hours, things have cleared up significantly. We're expecting low 60s, sunny, light winds in Chicago, and now we're all the way up to 45 and a half. There was a big release from a respected betting group yesterday that drove that number up. So you'd think that would only go further, but it is interesting with Dolphins making a big move yesterday and getting Bradley Chubb. Bears making multiple moves, trading away their arguably two most important defensive pieces Acquiring Chase Claypool as a wide receiver, where do you sit on Chicago, at least this current team, for the rest of the year with the pieces they gave up, combined with that one they got back in Claypool?
2: You know, I I felt like Rokon. I loved Rokon coming out of college. I think Rokon's a really good player, but I I didn't. I thought he was heavy. I didn't think he was. I know he made a lot of tackles, but that can be misleading, right? You know where you know are you dominating the game? I never felt like he was. I kind of felt like Baltimore's going to need to get him in shape. I think it'll help Baltimore's defense. If they get him in shape, I didn't think he was in shape. I didn't think he was as fast as he needs to be. You know, and and I think he struggled in there. Now, you know, maybe I think it's a move that Chicago can kind of overcome. Is is AJ Klein going to do it for him? I doubt it. But look, Chicago's they need all the draft picks they can get. It surprised me that they turned around and traded a second for Claypool. I know they have two more years left on Claypool's deal, but to me, it's like, is that really where how you want to rebuild the team? Your offensive line is a disaster. Your defensive line isn't good enough, and yet you're turning assets into a into a, a receiver. I know, I know we got to get Justin Fields some weapons, and mm-hmm. I, I agree that Fields needs weapons like Claypool. He needs big w- receivers with long windspan and catch radiuses. But to me, from a team building and a strategy standpoint, like I'm not giving away any assets for a receiver. I'm just not going to do it. I'm going to build the lines, and I'm using every one of those assets to build the line. Makes sense. And,
1: right, you think about heading into next year, the – Chicago Bears were at about 120 million in free cap space. We talked about this yesterday with Mike Pritchard, nearly double the team next on the list from them. So there's so much room for Chicago to make moves. It probably comes down to when you look at it, Michael, as a longtime former executive, how much trust you have in Ryan Poles as a relatively new GM in, in that specific position to be able to, to wheel and deal and find the guys he really wants to build a team. To me, when you have that much cap space and you have that much flexibility and you have a quarterback you've clearly invested in to be your guy in Justin Fields, that's the thing. Where do you go if you're the Bears? And, and how much confidence do you have in them making those moves?
2: Well, I mean, look, I think at least now we're eight games into the season, at least now if you're Ryan Poles, you can say to yourself with all candor, i got to run the six-back offense. I've got to be the single wing again because it's really the only chance I have with this quarterback. I'm not going to run the West Coast. I can't do that. I'm not going to run Kyle Shanahan's offense. I'm not going to I've got to run. And I give Luke Getze credit and I give mm-hmm. I give Matt Eberflus a ton of credit for basically saying, "Look, this is what we have to do." Now, they scored 29 points against Dallas. They ran the ball, you know, they had over 200 yards rushing. They move the ball effectively against New England who's who's a good defense, but New England has a hard time playing against the six-back offense when the quarterback's in the run game. So I think at least now they know. And maybe the Claypool move is a way to say, okay, we need a big receiver. We need somebody with a catch radius that can help us. We've got Mooney. Now we got Claypool and we're going to take all these assets and put them in offensive linemen. The only thing I know is you can't find offense and defensive linemen in the free agent market. It's hard. It's really hard. If you overpay a defensive lineman who's naturally not a hardest working guy of all time and you pay them, they tend to not have good years after you pay them. And offensive linemen, you know, that are really good, they don't get to the market. So it's kind of betwixt and between here. So that's kind of where you got to draft them. I mean, Randy Gregory is a great player. But when he gets paid, is he going to still be a great player? Now, he was so far this year, but those are the kind of things you got to take into consideration. Sometimes it doesn't happen with D Lyman. Mm-hmm.
1: At least in Chicago, though, of all the rookie head coaches, I have to say, been pleasantly surprised by how competent Matt Iberflus has looked as a head coach and taking a team so bereft of personnel. Nothing on the offensive line. Averaged yeah. over 30 points the last two games. Defense before the destruction of Dallas was at least right around the middle of the pack in most defensive numbers, Michael. You, you agree with uh, the thought that Eberflus has actually looked pretty solid there in the Windy City?
2: I, I ben, I wrote about it on my, on Tuesday. I, I've actually been – am not I've not been an Eberflus defensive coordinator fan at all. But I think he might be like Vrabel as a head coach. He's kind of taken a step back. Vrabel wasn't a great defensive coordinator either now. Let's just put that in perspective. I mean, when he took over for Romeo Cornell, the defense got worse in Houston. And then when Cornell came back, it got better. But Vrabel's one of the top five coaches in the league. I make no mistake about that. He's a great head coach. And I think Iberflus, by taking a step back and being a strategist as opposed to a play caller, is is a better role for him. Mm
1: -hmm. Bears and Dolphins, two teams who were extremely active at yesterday's deadline playing each other in Chicago. That's Miami minus five right now. Pretty much market-wide, 45 or 45 and a half on the total. Michael, you said it. You wrote about coaches at Visa.com. We'll talk about one of them and a lack of adjustments in game. Your thoughts on the Cincinnati Bengals coming up next, as well as the breaking news this morning on Washington and the Commanders. Daniel Snyder apparently in talks to sell the team. We'll get those thoughts from Michael next as we're just getting started on the Lombardi line.
3: There's no distance too far for the perfect trip.
4: (laughs) Hi, checking in for...
5: Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep
1: experts.
4: (sighs) Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named Best Hybrid Mattress 5 Years Running.
2: You're listening to the Lombardi Line on v featuring former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now, once again, here's Patrick
0: Maher.
1: It is time to download Nevada's premier sports betting app, BetMGM Sports. BetMGM is all of your favorite wagering options, along with in-game betting, boosted on specials, and much more. Download the BetMGM app today and stop by any MGM casino on the Strip with your state-issued ID to open an account and start placing sports bets from anywhere in Nevada. Whatever your sport, whatever your betting style, you're going to love BetMGM, state-of-the-art technology, and fan-friendly specials every day of the week. Visit BetMGM for terms and conditions. Must be 21 or older and physically located in Nevada. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. A very busy day in the NFL and a very busy show for us here on the Lombardi line. Mike Sando. Athletic writer talks all things Hall of Fame is a Hall of Fame voter. We're going to have Mike join the show from uh, the Athletic in a little bit, about fifteen minutes. As always on Wednesdays, Harry Gagden, former Las Vegas sportsbook supervisor and host of the Against All Odds podcast, will join us a little bit later today. Michael, you wrote about coaches who you can trust at this point. We're eight weeks <laughs> in now to the season, so we have a pretty good idea. And you watch Zach Taylor, the Cincinnati head coach, on Monday night. I'm, I'm sure you can't help but just say. What are you doing, man? You have your best offensive threat out, and yet, as you wrote about, didn't really look like much of a change in the game plan ends up biting Cincinnati pretty hard as they go down uh, by a wide margin, blown out by 19 to their division rivals in Cleveland.
2: Well, I mean, you know, it was predictable. I mean, it was really predictable. It was easy to take the three and a half, even the three with Cleveland. Cleveland's had success against them. When you remove Chase, you expose the offensive line. I mean, this is what's going on in the National Football League is 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 when you lose two of your best players or lose a player. Devontae Adams goes from Green Bay to o- to Las Vegas. You can't run that offense with Devontae Adams gone. I mean, LaFleur's trying to do that. You can't do it. Like, people play you a certain way because of the receiver. or They play you a certain way because of the running back, you know? And so – when when the Bengals lose Chase and they stay in eleven personnel, they're one of the worst running teams in the National Football League. They can't run, right? They can't run the ball at all. Right. Who are you afraid of on the receiving court? You're gonna now you can double Higgins. Mm-hmm. You don't have to worry about him beating you because he was always the guy getting the ball against double coverage. You know, Boyd's a nice player, he's gonna catch a lot of balls in the slot, but he's not gonna beat you. So, like, where are you going? And then you're gonna get the quarterback to hold on to the football because he's nobody's open. And that's gonna create and he's not gonna have enough time. He's gonna to take too many hits. So yeah, I mean to me it's just mind blowing. It's just the way this continues to nobody adapts to the situation at hand. And it continues on and on. And and I think to me, as I wrote about, we're gonna to start to see a shift as we go forward here with all these teams that are running one back. I think eventually the teams that go back to two backs are going to be the teams that stay ahead of the curve, especially as teams
1: like you talk about have made the adjustments on Cincinnati's side. Even in a game like Monday, where Cleveland was the worst rush defense team in the NFL, didn't matter because they weren't exposed in they any of those block. ways. We
2: <laughs> yeah, have Depend- Cincinnati that You, know, blocking, it, you yeah. could, you could take all the numbers you want, but when you can't block, it doesn't. The numbers don't matter. They can't get any movement in the run game. I mean, same thing with Tampa Bay. They can't get any movement in the run game. Same thing with Indianapolis. Watch Indianapolis try to double team. They get no room, they get nothing in the run game. You know, and so everything has to become a scheme run or how we fit on it. it there's, there's an element of toughness. And the further we get into the season where no teams are practicing, they're all doing walkthroughs or they're all nobody's in pads there's going to be no physicality, and then it's going to be harder. And the teams that do have physicality are going to emerge as the better teams. I mm-hmm. mean, people think Andy Reid is a soft coach. He's not. He's a tough guy. He, his teams are always physically tough, and they're ready to play. That's why Kansas City can adapt. I mean, it's why Tennessee. I mean, think about how, how ridiculous. If you were the general manager of the, of the, of the Texans, you're Nick Cesario and you know that Ryan Tannehill's out, and you know Malik Willis is out, and you say to yourself, okay, they have to run the ball. We just stop the run. We're going to win this game. We just stop the run. We'll win this game. We'll get loaded up. We'll play a front that they can't run the ball on, and yet they run for 300 yards. What does that tell you about the adaptation of the staff? It was stupefying watching that game. And Malik
1: Willis looked like such a duck out of water as, and you don't blame him. He's a young quarterback making his first start on the gonna road. They weren't going to let him play.
2: He, yeah, didn't he They didn't weren't going to let him play, Ben. They were never going to let him play in the game. He was never participating. I mean, Vrabel went down there. He lost to him last year. He turned the ball over five times. I actually liked Houston to get the two and a half because I felt like this is a game Houston should win. I mean, don't turn the ball over, kick field goals. You know how how and as long as you don't let this big guy run, you're going to win the game. And of course, naturally, what do they do? They let him run and. And, and, and you know just shows you the value of having a great head coach
1: and you flip that forward if we're talking about coaches you are not trusting right now through eight weeks and the lack of in-game adjustments for Cincinnati you take on a Carolina team that has been very game the past couple weeks under an interim coach and in Steve Wilkes you have the the ties there to that coaching staff Michael with with your son being a part of the uh, with the Panthers overall organization. And so Carolina does rank fourth against the run. They've struggled defending the pass at times this year, 20th on the EPA per play allowed basis. But if it is going to be this one-dimensional, obvious, lack of adjustment Cincinnati offense here, can you trust the Bengals laying over a touchdown now up to seven and a half in that spot?
2: You know, I think it's going to be hard, and here's why. First of all, Cincinnati lost their best corner the other night. You know, Chidi uh, Adozier, yeah, I mean, he's their best corner. I mean, he's by far their best corner. And Eli Apple's out. So, like, right now their secondary's not very good. And the fact that you can run the football a little bit on Cincinnati, you know, and they they, they do a great job of adjusting. But what what Carolina has gotten, which they did not get the first five, six weeks of this, is good quarterback. They got a decent quarterback. I mean, I'm not saying P.J. Walker's an elite player, but he gave them solid quarterbacking play. And this front against Cincinnati's front will be very tough for Cincinnati to block plus if JC Horn goes over and covers Higgins and they double the slot and take away that who's winning who's going to win who how are they going to run the ball on i mean it's going to be a hard game one thing we've learned about Cincinnati even when chase even when uh, Jamar Chase was playing they they need to make explosive plays that's how they functioned last year they are not good enough in the offensive line to go 12 plays and score they did 17 plays against Dallas and scored and that took everything in their arsenal to get that done. So now without Chase, they have no explosiveness unless you like, you know, you give up like the Jets did, you miss a tackle on Boyd mm-hmm. and he runs for a touchdown, but that's half the part. It's going to I think it's a hard game. I think you have to adjust Cincinnati's power ranking significantly. I don't think like my numbers for the game were 725. Mm-hmm. 5 And the lines eight, right? I think that number probably really should be about 625 because I think Cincinnati that all the power rankings into Cincinnati's numbers, two players that they count on desperately to be there aren't there.
1: And that opened right around seven, always telling, what, what do the betters want? And they quickly laid it with Cincinnati, I would think, partially expecting the bounce back after an awful Monday night performance. Carolina in this emotional back-and-forth overtime game, but now we're at seven and a half, basically market-wide uh, so far. Carolina going to Cincinnati this week. We'll talk about this in a little bit with Mike Sando uh, and get his thoughts on everything breaking this morning on Daniel Snyder, Michael. But I want to get your thoughts, too, where the reports do come out from Adam Schefter of ESPN breaking this. Uh, They have he and and his wife, they have hired Bank of America going through the potential for a sale in the team. Uh, What do you make of, of those developments there in D.C.?
2: Well, I think if the Walton family sold Denver for $4.5 billion, the Washington football team will sell for close to $6 billion. It's going to be a record deal. If he takes this step, it tells you this is not a put your toe in the water. I mean, I'm not a financial wizard, but I know the Washington football team is really undervalued in terms of the potential that it has being in the nation's capital and being such a historic franchise. So, I mean, you're going to get bidders from everywhere, and there'll be nobody saying no to a price because when you want to join this billionaire's cl- club, a billionaire or a billionaire really don't matter to you, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, everybody gave Steve Ballmer you know, a lot of grief for spending as much as he did on the Clippers. I mean, what's Ballmer going to do with all his money? You know, like, seriously, he wants point. to own yep. a team. What's <laughs> another billion? You know, it's a, it's a lot to me and you. It's It's way more than we could even imagine, but to him – He's got 190 of them sitting in the bank. What, I give you one more. What do you? What do I care? Right. You know, so this, somebody wants to be the – when you're the owner of the Washington football team, you're an elite, elite org, uh, uh, area, you know, and so this is going to go through the roof. I can't imagine. I can't imagine that they got Snyder to take this step, that it's not going to go all the way through. I think there's a tremendous 30 for 30 on how the commissioner and other owners were able – to make this happen mm-hmm. behind the scenes. I think there's so much that we don't know about this.
1: Forbes says five point six billion is the official current worth, Michael. So you, but you'd take the over on that
2: from the final season Oh, I I mean you know what if Forbes says it's five six, I think they'll get six five. Would make would
1: make a lot of sense. And for
2: what it's worth, Congress says Because still, you know why? You yeah. know why, Ben? They'll get six five because whoever buys the team is going to get a new stadium. I mean, it's going to be like it's going to be like the Red Sea just got part. I mean, they're going to embrace whoever the owner is with such love. I watched the season ticket sales go up immediately. They will get everything <laughs> yeah. they want from every congressman, senator. It will be unbelievable. And, you know, it, it's going to be incredible because they've basically the wicked witch is dead. It's gone. Yeah.
1: Look, you feel you feel so you feel good for all the Washington fans too, who have you know, they have not deserved having to go through an owner who has done so many things negatively and still under investigation by Congress. That's what I want to ask Mike Sando about next still what are the implications here on on these investigations going on with Daniel Snyder for I mean there's been a bunch of things he's been uh, looking into for but the bottom line is they have at least started the process him and his wife potential sale of the current uh, Washington commander team valued at about 5.6 billion we'll get Mike Sando's thoughts on that as well as the trade deadline what he thinks about the current state of the awards market when we come back
0: you're listening to the Lombardi Line on Vset, featuring former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now once again, here's Patrick Maher.
1: Get everything Vset has to offer for the rest of the football season for only $99. Sign up now and get Vset Pro access all the way through the Super Bowl, including our Pro Picks daily recap at the top plays made by Vset show hosts and guests, pro tools like our exclusive betting splits. Pro tips with actionable insights to up your betting game. Deep dive daily betting reports on the NBA, NHL, and MLB playoffs. Plus our upcoming college basketball, college bowl, and Super Bowl betting guides. Give yourself an edge. Visit vison.com slash subscribe to get your $99 midseason special today. That's vison.com slash subscribe. Always love being joined by Mike Sando on the show. As we welcome you back to the Lombardi line presented by BetMGM. You see Mike's work at The Athletic, NFL writer nationally there. Uh, at Sando NFL, also part of the uh, Hall of Fame uh, Voters Committee, votes for the AP uh, and the awards as well. Mike, before we get into that and some of your reaction to the trade deadline news, where we stand awards-wise, Michael and I were just talking Daniel Snyder, the news that comes out this morning, and his decision to at least start the process towards selling the team. At the same time, we still have an investigation uh, from Congress and from the NFL at large. (laughs) What happens to
6: those? I would assume they're not just going to stop just because he's selling the team. Yeah, I would think so too. We need to see exactly what's gonna happen. Uh I do believe it is a move to sell sell the team. I don't think you hire a bank to get find a partner. You know, there's a little bit of uh confusion on that. But this is just another Daniel Snyder. Hey, I'm never gonna I'm never gonna change the name of the team, changes it twice, you know. i will never sell the team. Uh you guys better watch out. I've got the dirt on you guys. Uh yeah, we just hired Bank of America. So um, <laughs> yeah. I think it's great for the league. There's gonna be a lot of, obviously they'll get a lot of money out of it, but You know, just the bigger picture, and Mike, you'll, Michael, you'll know this. Like, do you ever really overcome terrible ownership? I think it's a great question. Certainly, if you won the lottery with your coach and quarterback, you might, but I think it's just really hard. I think Snyder hangs over everything there.
2: You know, I, I think to me, I was talking to a coach who was in a situation where, uh, you know, he's always, you know, some teams come after him or do whatever. And, and one of the things, the advice that I can give as somebody who's been through it and I give it to my children is, is essentially alignment. It's hard to find alignment in the college, in pro. And alignment in pro starts with the coach, starts with the owner. The alignment of the owner being able to stay the course, see progress without seeing wins, I mean, the Rooney family is the perfect example of that. I mean, they're able to do those things. So it's a hard, hard thing to do. And you would think some of these guys that come into the NFL that have made billions in the markets and in other areas would understand alignment and would understand the value of progress, but they don't because they're influenced by outside forces and that causes misalignment. So, yeah, I think that the value of ownership and how owners behave Not how they react, how they behave on a consistent basis is the key to being successful.
6: And look, in football, even people who really know the game well can disagree over why the games were won and lost. So now you bring in owners who have absolutely no knowledge. I mean, Dan Snyder doesn't know how the games were won and lost. He doesn't know why they're doing well and poorly. And so you, no. you become reliant on other people, and uh, other people have uh, other agendas, right? Everyone wants to protect themselves. Well, I mean, look at
2: Detroit. They've been so bad for so long. Why? Why has Detroit—I think Detroit, if I had a dream job, Detroit would have always been my dream job. I really believe that. It. it was a dome, yeah. which I thought was the most advantage for a personnel guy. I, it had a historic franchise going back to the 50s. Their uniforms were classic— it had a fan base that was remarkable. And it had an ownership group that basically would let you establish yourself. And why are they so bad? Because they don't understand that, that they need a strategist. They keep hiring accountants and business managers to run their franchise when they need a strategist. They need somebody to figure out why are we winning, why are we losing. I mean, the fact that they have not improved defensively after being horrendous last year tells you there's no one in the building there that understands how to fix problems, or better yet, asks the questions that can solve the problems.
6: They actually, they have a lot of people in that building, though. I think some of them might know. They're a mystery to me uh, over the years, because they don't have actively terrible ownership. They don't have someone who's meddling. I think (laughs) everyone who's worked there has probably generally liked who they worked for, right? Uh, no doubt. Uh, is fascinating but the problem
2: is, but Mike, they have nobody. They, they have a lot of guys that understand football at a level that's not at the thirty thousand foot level. Like, why are we losing? Why are we winning? You hit it the nail on the head. That's the hardest question to answer in sports, and it, it and you don't if you don't understand it, and then there's no strategy. Like, there is – they keep hiring what I call – you know, they keep hiring these coordinators or they keep subcontractors. That's And then they have a collaborative group of people. Well, yeah. to me, you need somebody who can fix the strategy of it. And I don't want to get off on the tangent because your time's so yeah. valuable. But to me, that's the issue.
1: That's a good point, Michael. I, still, Wayne Fonts, last coach, who's won a playoff game for the Detroit Lions. Uh, it's,
2: been, it's been a while. So, but, you know, like and Walsh would tell you, though, Ben – he won one playoff game. They had to, They had some good players. They never had the yeah. right strategist to fix the
6: team. That's so totally there was fair. never had somebody one, to walk. Go ahead, had, Mike. Since 1973, they've had one non-interim head coach leave there with a winning record, and that was Jim Caldwell. That is unbelievable. Yeah, uh,
2: yeah. Unbelievable. And, and see, like strategy, when I say this, I say the same thing. Like Mike Brown, Mike Brown has been around football his whole life. Like for him not to walk down the hall and to say to Zach Taylor, Zach, we can't run this offense without Jamar Chase. He makes this offense go by the prediction of coverage. So unless you adapt and change, we're going to keep losing. Like, that's a strategist, right? Who's doing that in Detroit?
1: Yeah. Does not appear to be any <laughs> anything real there. Uh, Mike, we did, as Michael said, time is very valuable to us. We want to get your thoughts on some of these awards now. Michael wrote about the Seattle Seahawks, what an outstanding year they're having at vcin.com uh, yesterday. And from the awards perspective, still in the coach of the year market, Pete Carroll, he's not among your favorites right now. Geno Smith is a quarterback. And how do you quantify who really is worthy of comeback player of the year? But he's still not one of the favorites overall for that. But a team that's 5-3 and three, who's already now on the precipice of going over their five-and-a-half season win total and leading the NFC West, how real should we be taking the candidacy for two guys like that in these awards markets? Yeah, uh,
6: the I don't know what the – Geno Smith came back from what? I mean, he was he was playing. Right, that's fair point. Yeah, you know, so that's a little bit of a weird <laughs> one. But I think because there isn't a set criteria, it reminds me of talking about Hall of Fame. Uh, uh there is not a set criteria. I suppose he could be in there. And I think the fundamentals for him are pretty good. You know, I, I sometimes people shoot, I was covering the Seahawks when John Kittner took him to the playoffs at nine and seven and we knew he was no offense to John, he's a friend of mine, but he, we knew he wasn't gonna be uh, you know, the franchise quarterback. I think Geno's actually played uh, really well, uh, and has been accurate. Good decision making. I think he holds up. Like I don't think he's going to suddenly fall off a cliff necessarily. Uh, have some ups and downs as they play better defenses, but I think he's been pretty solid. Uh, the coach of the year thing is, uh, I think we just need to see how they, how the rest of their season goes. You know, I think Brian Dayball did a better job out of the gates because one thing Pete Carroll always seems to do pretty well is like he identifies the problem during the season, and then they oftentimes fix it. But a lot of times it, it, it takes five games, it takes six games. Brian Dayball had it figured out week one with a new team of how they were gonna play and how it was gonna work. And they played to that script with better than expected results. So I would have probably leaned towards Dayball for coach of the year, but I think Pete Carroll over the course of the season may you know, move into that and move ahead in that because I think they're a better team than the Giants. And so they may have better success ultimately.
2: Yeah, I mean, you got to give I, – I, I, the emergence of their defense, Mike, has been staggering to me the last three weeks. I mean, they really – I mean, I know the Giants are not an explosive offense, but they took away what the Giants wanted to do, and they're rushing the passer better. And they're faster on defense than they've ever been, that I've seen them since going back to the 13, 14 year. They're really fast on defense. And you know what's kind of funny? And I'd love to hear your opinion on this. Seattle has now become the Rams' offense. When you watch Geno Smith, he is really Jared Goff when when Sean McVay was there. I mean, that's what they're running. It's amazing. Meanwhile, the Rams can't run that offense anymore. They average 3-1 a carry. It's kind of fascinating to see how the Rams offense with Shane Waldron is now in Seattle.
6: So that that second point. Wow, you just brought up a bunch of great stuff. So uh, here's what I got on that. Um, I wrote this in my Pick 6 column on Monday. If you remember, uh, during the broadcast of the Denver game, we're going to segue into Russell Wilson to talk about Seattle. Um, They were calling the Denver offense a high school offense. Remember that? Well, what did Greg Olson say about the Seahawks when he was there with Russell Wilson in 2020? Greg Olson is now coming. After he left, he said, we played like we had a JV roster. I don't understand that. We had better talent than that. I think what we're seeing is that uh, Russell Wilson was a two-edged sword there. When he was really athletic and making plays, um, the other places of the offense that they couldn't explore with him weren't the anchor that was pulling you down to the bottom of the sea because he did so many other things great. But I think over the last year or more, we haven't seen that from him. And so now Russell was limited and the offense was limited because he – for whatever reason, couldn't or wouldn't grow it. And now they're growing a real offense with, you know, Smith, and it's very eye opening.
1: We're all eye open with that, uh, Mike. <laughs> the team is a win away from going over a preseason win total, and they lead the NFC West right now. Uh, Mike Sando, always a pleasure having you join us at Sando NFL. Check out his uh, weekly pick six column as well in The Athletic. Thanks, Mike. Uh, we really appreciate Thanks, it. Mike Joel will appreciate give us you, Mike, some lot. more of his trade Thank deadline so thoughts on the other
3: side. You'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with What's up? I'm John Wall. And
5: I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game, king of the court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think he could have took it all?
3: I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all. I said, I said OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college? You it I need
5: <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep experts. <sighs> Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named Best Hybrid Mattress Five Years Running. Sleep hot. Collect goods. That's L E S A.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See Lisa.com for more details.
2: You're listening to the Lombardi line on VCN. Featuring former NFL executive Michael Lombardi.
0: Now,
6: once again, here's Patrick Maher. <laughs>
1: Attention, BetMGM customers have a friend who loves sports as much as you do. Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement at BetMGM and get a $50 bonus. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. must be 21 years of age or older to wager. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable site credit. Site credit expires in 30 days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Mississippi and Nevada. A big thanks to Mike Sando, NFL writer for The Athletic, for joining us last segment. Michael, our pro tip of the hour, of which we have each and every hour across v 20 times a day, something you pointed out earlier, when you're handicapping head coaches in the NFL and trying to figure out who is trustworthy to you, look at what they're doing in-game with personnel adjustments, whether they are or they aren't. That can be a big differentiating factor between coaches you trust or do not. We gave the example earlier of Zach Taylor in Cincinnati on Monday night not doing any of that. I'm sure there's other examples you've written about this you could point to, Michael, where that, that pro tip certainly applies across the league.
2: Yeah, and I'm, I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer here. I mean, I think ultimately it comes down to understanding what assets you have, as I wrote about, and what assets are you using? You know, and so Joe Mixon is a huge asset for the Cincinnati Bengals, but the fact that they can't get him going in the running game because they're so insistent upon being an 11-run team that maybe they have to be a 12-run team or a 13-run team or a 21-run team. You know, they've got to find a way to solve the problem. And I think that's ultimately what we see. For me, the, the Detroit situation is alarming because they're actually, I know this is hard to believe, they're actually worse with Matt Patricia. Well, they're actually worse with Dan Campbell than they were with Matt Patricia. I mean, I know that's hard to believe, but that that's true. And so you know you could say, well, they Matt Patricia took over a team that almost qualified for the playoffs. Well, that every team's different than next year. I don't think that's like saying the Raiders are a playoff team because they made the the playoffs last year. They're not the same team. I mean, look at their offensive line, look at their defensive front. So, uh, you know, that's that's kind of an old school way of thinking. I, I wish we could get rid of that narrative, but we can't because people cling to it. But to me, I think that's what you have to look at. And then, do they solve problems? I mean, Mike Vrabel goes into Houston without a quarterback, and he solves the problem. They find a way to win the game. And so that's somebody you want to bet on. This week he's got, you know, he's got Kansas City, you know, and and they're throwing points at, the, at the, and you look at the numbers. My numbers in that game are eleven seven five. Like my numbers in that game are eleven seven five. And I would I and I but I think he's going against a really good coach in Andy Reid. But I do think you have to be careful because they are playing better on defense, and that the, my numbers are a little bit as – I think the line's 12 here now, 12 and a half in some places. I think it's going to be hard for Kansas City to constantly be able – this is the number one best third-down team in football. Their their numbers the last five games are really good, so I just think you got to take the coaching into account.
1: No, no question. That line split pretty much across the board between 12 or 12 and a half. Dan Campbell now 4'19 and 1", as its Lions
2: head coach. And it's, were, not, yeah. getting better, not, it's not, not getting, getting better, man. It's not getting better. You know, you talk about another guy. I hate to hit you at home, but, I mean, no, like LaFleur. Like LaFleur, like, like, what are we doing? I mean, it took him eight games to decide I need to run the ball. I mean, my big daddy Vince, my my cousin who's a carpenter, you know, he's been screaming for them to run the ball all year. Now, he does it because he's a fan, and and fans love to say run the ball. But – Like if you're Matt LaFleur and you're sitting this summer and saying, Okay, I got nothing but young receivers, I would walk into the GM's office and say, Look, I need, I need besides Mercedes Lewis, I need another tight end that can block. I need a big fullback because I'm going to a two back run game and I'm going to play action. I'm going to get Aaron Rodgers under center. We're going to we're going to simplify this and we got to play a certain way to win. That's what I would to me, that's what coaching is. That's Mm -hmm. what being a strategist is. And just to go out there the, and just uh, start calling yeah. your plays again is just, to me, ridiculous.
1: And we've seen it time and again this year. Just updating the overall awards numbers. We flashed this up last segment, but it is Nick Sirianni of Philadelphia, minus 110 favorite in that market. Dan Campbell, who took more money than anybody at BetMGM this summer. It should should be about, about $2 million to one, but he's 250 to one. <laughs> Dan Campbell. <laughs> and then uh, the comeback player of the year, it is Saquon Barkley, minus 155, your favorite. We talked about that How as about well. How about that? With Mike.
2: Uh, it is I amazing. mean, but let's... You know what? What one of the things I think you got to give credit to Philadelphia about is, and I'm not sure this is Sirianni, but he's the head coach, so you got to give him credit. I think what Philly's been able to do is, 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 and I, and I think this is, and it's clear, it's very transparent on the defensive side of the ball where they have basically changed Jonathan Gannon's strategy and made him more aggressive, made him play more man-to-man, which he didn't really want to do. I mean, he's from the Iberflu school of defense, right? He doesn't want to do that, but they've changed that. And what I think people have lost sight about Philadelphia, why I don't think I'm shocked this line hasn't gone over 14 yet. I really am. I really am. I mean, I really am. I mean, they, 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 they're not going to move the ball on Philly. I just don't think they are. They just not. They're not able to move the ball. There's no matchup that favors them. I, I think to me the defense gets often under overlooked in Philadelphia because of their ability. That's what's really been to me, the key matchup point of this game. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, let's just knock out our, our few-minute preview here Thursday night. Right now, we'll circle back to a final trade deadline thoughts in the next hour, but a line that opened 13 has had one-way traffic to the Philadelphia side at minus 14. I understand that in general, it's never fun wanting to lay multiple touchdowns with a road team in a short week, but if you look at the one matchup that matters the most in this game, Michael, it's Houston's ability, or ra- rather inability to try to defend anything within the interior of their defensive line against a Philadelphia rush offense that's now second in the league you add into what you just talked about on on the Jonathan Gannon front and the improvements defensively excuse me uh where you, you, you look at this game and you say, how how could you possibly get there on the dog side with Houston? I made the case yesterday, player props on the rushing angle for Philadelphia is probably the most optimal way to look if you don't want to lay the a huge double-digit number. But uh, if you're Houston, how, do you, how could you possibly respond after being embarrassed the way you were on both lines of scrimmage against a team that is even more effective than Tennessee is in that exact same type of football?
2: You know, so I... I... You know, on my day off, I get to tinker around with my power rankings and kind of try to come up with different ways to break the teams down, and I really enjoy it. And so, you know, I have these 19 categories that I think determine winning. And so I rank all the teams in those 19 categories. You know, and I, and strictly this is the coaching and the quarterback play are my rankings. Those two. The 17 other categories are all strictly numbers. Okay? And so I come up with a number, and – and then that number, I, I that becomes the power ranking, and then the power ranking against the teams, mm-hmm. and then I have a number that I use that that tells me what my line should be based on that. Okay, got that out of the way. So, now, so then I took it another step. And so then when I said, okay, if from one to seven of the categories, how many are you good in? And then how many are you close to being good in? Like eight to 13, like in that area. And then how many are you really bad in? Twenty four to thirty two. Okay. So that comes so now I did that last week and I loved it. I really loved it. And I had a good week picking games. I had picked Houston stupidly, but I had a good week picking giving out recommendations. I don't bet I don't bet games. But anyway, so I felt really good about it. I feel even better about it this week. So when I come up with numbers, so now I what I decided to do is take the take the two teams in the matchup and figure out strength versus strength, right? Where are they and what they do? So Philly's Philly's numbers come out to 14-11. So they're 14-11. They have 14 areas where they're in the top seven or better that determine winning. They they only have one area where they're kind of just close to it, and they only have one area where they're in the bottom. Meanwhile, the the Houston Texans are 0-112. 0-112. Man. They're not good in what? any area in the top seven. They have no top sevens. Yeah. They're they're in the bottom third in twelve of the most critical components towards winning and losing.
1: What's the How one you area? How do play that? Yeah, I don't. Like, I don't like know. for
2: example, like for example, Detroit. Detroit would be four o twelve. Okay, that's their number. They have four strengths because they're good. They have numbers are good on offense, and they're they have no middle ground, and they're bad on defense, and they're bad in twelve. Meanwhile, Green Bay is two thirty-eight. They're they're only good in two areas. They're average in three, and they're really bad at eight. And now you know why the line's so close.
1: Right, you get it. F, uh, Green Bay minus three and a half against Detroit this coming week. Uh, to the Philadelphia side, what's the one? Uh, what's the one weakness? Out of curiosity,
2: Philadelphia uh, in Philly's the, the only weakness they had is sack per play. I mean. Philly is Philly is they, they they're they're just sack per play there and that's really what gets them the most. I mean that that and that's not even a red, you know. Yeah. Oh and oh I'm sorry. Philly's one red area is is fourth quarter fourth quarter overall, which they've had the lead so bad what they don't say. just give it away. But but again, Houston's 29th in fourth quarter.
1: Makes it tough. And when you're Philadelphia and you're the only team who has not had a deficit at all in the second halves, I would think those fourth quarter numbers maybe get a little bit skewed because of the garbage time in there as well. Either way, laying two touchdowns, it's hard to see a scenario where Houston looks like the right side based on the power ratings, based on the matchup in that game Thursday night. When we return, final trade deadline thoughts from
0: Michael as we get into our number two on the Lombardi line.